0: And learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 256 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. We'll get right into the episode after a word from our sponsors. State Forum believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact, like a good neighbor. state form is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is high blood pressure education month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the pressure wants to help black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation during high blood pressure education month, let's help get to our goal of one hundred thousand black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. For the first time in a while, I have quite a bit of fun travel coming up this summer, and I'm really counting on Macy's to help round out my wardrobe for some of these trips. Right now, I've got my eye on a new bag and sandals from Coach and some super cute tops and dresses from Macy's On 34th brand. And you can never really have too many pairs of sunglasses. And there are a lot of cute options to explore right now. If you need a little help getting your summer look together, shop at macy's.com ownyourstyle. You may have heard that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org ourblood to make an appointment now. Buying your first car can make you feel like a superstar as it's a big purchase, but it can take time to get there. In the world of competitive sports, an athlete's mentality can be their best or worst friend. While we may perceive the athletes in our lives or on our screens as superhuman, it's important to remember that they are more human than super. As athletes like Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles take public steps to address and protect their mental health, it's imperative that we continue to create a space for athletes to feel seen and heard. This week, I'm joined by Olympic, world, and U.S. national champion track and field sprinter, Natasha Hastings. During our conversation, we explored the types of pressures competitive athletes are up against and how coaches and family members can aid the athletes in their lives to suit up not just for their sport, but also for their mental health. If something resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please share it with us on social media using the hashtag #tbginsession, or Join us over in the Sister Circles to talk more in depth about the episode. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. Here's our conversation. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Natasha. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I am excited as well. I'd love if you could get us started by talking a little bit about when you found yourself starting to prioritize your mental health.
1: I would say I truly started prioritizing my mental health probably when I was about 26, 27. But I say it's like a continuum relationship and it's one that I've kind of had to learn that it's not something you master and then you can like go away from it. It's like a constant practice. And so there was 26, 27, and then I've been in and out of it. And it's just this past, I would say right at the start of the pandemic, where I feel like I've like really gotten serious about my mental health.
0: Mm-hmm. So you had been seeing a sports psychologist, I think, for a while as it related to athletics, right? So what challenges, like either in your athletic career or in your personal life, made you decide to start working with a therapist?
1: Right. So it was just that. Again, I really got serious about it as a professional, but collegiately, I did have some experience with a sports psychologist here on campus. But again, it was not making the Olympic team in 2012. (laughs) And as fate would have it, my mom was sitting next to this particular sports psychologist at the trials. And after not making the team, he said, hey, I've been watching her for years. I don't think she's tapped into her potential. I'd love to work with her. So my mom took his information. And then we had a conversation, obviously. And I started working with him a couple months after that, after I got over my, I'm done running, I'm going to go back to school. <laughs> and You know, they let me go through that emotional roller coaster. But I would say that relationship was the transformative one for me.
0: So, I hear you say, the source psychologist says, I don't think she's tapped into her potential. And that sounds like such a big test, right? Like, what did that look like for you for him to help you tap into your potential?
1: I'll never forget our very first session. He said to me, or asked me rather, what is it that you're saying to yourself when you're standing on the line? And I ran down everything from, I don't want to be here. This is going to be painful. Why am I here? I'm not good enough. And when I got through, there was a moment of silence. (laughs) And then he said, my God, Natasha, I think the reason why you've been performing the way that you've been performing is because you've beaten yourself up before the gun has even gone off. And so from there, that relationship was literally changing how I spoke to myself. And sometimes I do a lot of motivational speaking and such. So that's the thing that I say was life changing, right? But I'm also careful to say that that sounds very simple and very like easy peasy, but it was a every single week, (laughs) year long practice, a few track meets in for it to finally click that how I spoke to myself was essentially how my performance was manifesting itself. And so it was something that seemed so simple, but was yet such a big, hard practice and habit to change.
0: Is that anything that you had recognized before he called that to your attention?
1: No, no. And I mean, I think, you know, in hindsight now, especially as a Black woman, we're kind of raised to be humble and also like wear our struggle as though it's this armor or whatever you want to call it. So even normalizing it to the point of realizing like, hey, this is actually something that you might have been taught is okay, but it's actually quite detrimental it wasn't until that moment, no.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does feel like it's a very fine line, right? Because as an athlete, you are constantly pushing yourself to like the edge of what feels comfortable, I think, for people who are not athletes and especially competing at the level that you are. And so it does feel like a very fine line of like how to push yourself, but also not be super critical of yourself.
1: Yeah, it's a touchy conversation because I often say and I believe, rather, myself and all the other elite athletes are where we are because we think and operate at a level that some people can't necessarily even imagine. Because you do have to be crazy enough to believe that you're part of a not even a 1%, a 0.5% of the population of the globe. It is something that I think is hard for us to imagine. But it's crazy because if you let it go too far one way or the other, it can become really dangerous. But yeah, we are our worst critics. We are our own personal experts. But you do have to be crazy enough to believe that you can do these crazy things. But there is also still those human things while we believe we're superhuman that float around in our mind to keep us from being that superhuman
0: hmm. And I'm wondering if you can share anything that maybe you've worked with your sports psychologist or your other therapist about like how to achieve that balance of like knowing that you are destined for greatness and like striving for greatness, but also like how to stay grounded and not let it go too far. Like, what does that even look like? Some of it is boundaries.
1: And I think that's a buzzword that we're hearing a lot lately And it's something for me that I didn't necessarily recognize that I was doing until recently, where it's even protecting that mindset. Family and friends, love them to death. (laughs) But again, some of them fall into that pot of you might be saying something out of love, but that doesn't work for me and what it is that I'm going after. And so being able to acknowledge that to myself, but then also acknowledge that to the people that I love that like, hey, I know you mean well. But for what I'm doing, that doesn't work for me. Coach and athlete got to be speaking the same language. And working in a university setting now, it's interesting to see that since there's so much focus on mental health now, and I love it, (laughs) the challenge now is as coaches, how do you meet your athlete where they are and speak the language that is motivating to them? because now we got to move away from, I would say, even abusive tactics that were used to get athletes to perform at whatever level they thought was necessary. I do truly believe also it comes down to the athlete knowing themselves and finding their voice to say, that doesn't work for me. I need to do things in order for it to work for me. And then family, friends, support staff, coaches, We got to meet somewhere here in the middle to make sure that, yeah, I don't go too far off the ledge, but also I protect that mindset that makes me great
0: hmm hmm I'm glad you mentioned this. I did not grow up in sports, so it feels like a bit <laughs> of a foreign world. On the outside, looking in, it does often seem that there's a lot of yelling from coaches sometimes. And even, and I'm sure you have learned this as you are training to become a therapist, you know, like that critical voice that maybe you had at the starting line likely came from somewhere, right? So did it come from early coaches? Did it come from all of those places? And I'd love to hear if the field is kind of moving in a different way and like figuring out other ways to motivate athletes. What does that look like beyond like the sometimes very harsh critical language?
1: Yeah, I think we're definitely moving in a space where (laughs) we're starting to realize that doesn't work. I can say for me, my experience, I've been running track since I was nine, 10 years old. And I had a mother that was very involved, but also not very involved. My mom, I don't like the word balance, but she does balance (laughs) in an interesting way because I did have a coach that did a lot of the screaming, yelling, and was strict and this and that. And my mom was like, "Mm, no, she's nine. She's 10. She's got talent, but she's going to enjoy this. You're not going to talk to her crazy. Also, she knew that Even her as my mom, when she yells at me, I shut down. So she knew that communication didn't work for me. And so I had a parent who advocated for me in that way to put me in situations that she knew I would be successful in. And so I think that that's something now that we're seeing more of where we're seeing more mental health departments on university campuses and even in high school situations now where they're encouraging athletes to do workshops and high school coaches to do workshops and such. So I think they are embracing it a lot more. I think the more we have the Simone Biles and the Naomi Osaka's talk about these things too, it continues to normalize it and get coaches and athletes to realize like, hey, if these world-class athletes are saying, I struggle with these things, and I do ask for help and I do speak up and say today is not the day because I'm having a mental health day. Then I think that creates more awareness and safety for mm-hmm. athletes and coaches to move into that space.
0: Yeah. So that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to get more information from you about. What do you think are some of the unique challenges that black women athletes in particular face? <laughs> How much <laughs> do you that we got? <laughs>
1: Man, I hate to um, overgeneralize or make things the same, but it is a lot of, we got to be 10 times better than our counterparts in the sports world. We've got to be more politically correct. If I'm having a bad day, no one cares. I still got to show up and do my job. I think all of those, as they exist in the corporate world, still exist in the athletic world and we're still expected to perform. And there's this notion that this is what we signed up for. And it kind of blows my mind because I'm like being a world-class athlete and even in other professions where you're a public figure or a celebrity, it's like the humanness of the person is lost, right? Well, this is what you signed up for. Your fans make you this. And it's like, no, actually, I appreciate your support, but my hard work and my talent is what made me who I am. And at the end of the day, just like you, I still have emotions. I still have bad days. I'm an introvert. (laughs) But because of what I do, a lot of times our talent as athletes sometimes gets the humanness of us. It's lost in all of that. And there's this expectation that we are superhuman and we don't have all of those things. And yes, we're superhuman in our profession, (laughs) but I still have feelings. There's still different parts that make me as a person.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think and we've talked about this on the podcast before, like just the struggles with the superwoman syndrome that black women in general have. But then when you do have this almost superhuman talent, I think then that adds this additional layer of like you mentioned, like just a, a loss of humanity and like people viewing you almost as like a robot or like you're just there to entertain and perform as opposed to like a human with feelings and thoughts and all of those things. Exactly. More from my conversation with Natasha after the break. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice and grow black owned businesses thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Forum believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Forum is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health Head over to iheartradio.com/rtp for a chance to receive a $1000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iheartradio.com/rtp today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in-store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander owned brands at macy's.com or in-store. You may be aware that most people who are black have O-type blood. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org ourblood to make an appointment now. Growing up, watching media legends like Gwen Eiffel and Robin Roberts always gave me the security that stories that matter to me would be told. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. And so it sounds like you are seeing in your work that more spaces are being created to have these kinds of conversations and talking with athletes even younger and younger about these kinds of concerns.
1: I think so. And I have my hopes of things that I hope to pay forward to the world of sport and especially women in sport. And that's one of them, especially black women in sport, that we leave that space for that humanness and that we give ourselves that space to honor that space as well. because I think. That's something that was key for me was me finding my voice in that and saying, hey, this is not okay for me. I am actually autonomous over myself. And yeah, if you want me to do all of those things on the track, I've got to take care of my person, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think a prime example of you really kind of recognizing this was when you found out that you were pregnant, right? And so it sounds like you decided to keep that to yourself and like your close inner circle for quite some time. It sounds like there mm-hmm. was some worry about like sharing it with your sponsors. Can you talk a little bit about what led you to keep that information for as long as you did? And then what happened once you shared the information with them?
1: Yeah. The first thing that I learned about pregnancy was you often see people hiding their pregnancy. And I will admittedly say I was one of those people that was like, why are you hiding a pregnancy? Like, You can't hide a whole baby when the baby gets here. And then I got pregnant and I realized how personal of a journey pregnancy is because there were so many fears. Yes, my sponsorship included, but like, am I going to have a healthy child? Am I going to have a healthy pregnancy? Am I going to have a... Full term pregnancy, all of these things that, you know, the idea that, again, my humanness and I should just live this out for everyone and I don't have any privacy to experience all of those things, the good and the bad, because believe it or not, there are some good things that I'd like to keep private and celebrate privately as well. But yeah, that was one of the first things that I recognized that, amen, oh man, I get it now. Then there was the Depression that I feel like no one talks about. I don't know if you call it perinatal depression or what, but all of those things, I was like, man, we talk so much about postpartum depression, but no one's talking about like all of the emotions and fears that you go through while you're pregnant. Am I going to have a job? Am I going to have health care? Am I going to have childcare? All of these things. And then I'm reading all of these articles and these books. And again, something that transcends sports, it's women in America that have all of these fears And I was like, man, how come I don't hear about all of these? You know, it's not until I'm in these shoes that like I'm starting to feel these emotions and see that other women have gone through the same thing. And then the sponsorship thing. (laughs) I got to make a living. I wasn't planning on having a child before retiring. And I didn't know what my sponsors were going to say. The status quo to that point was if you get pregnant, sometimes they'll drop you. Sometimes they'll pause your contract. In track and field, and I try to only speak from my experience. I don't know how other sports work, but in track and field, we are considered independent contractors. Now, we do have pregnancy clauses in our contracts if you ask for it. (laughs) But up until recently, you had to make the choice, family or career. And then you have that gamble of post baby, will I be able to come back? And then will they pick me up and give me my sponsorship back? All of these things. And I made the decision to train up until the day before I gave birth. I mean, I knew I wanted to get right back on the track to train for the Olympic trials. Well, training costs money and my sponsorship covers that. And so I was afraid, but I was blessed (laughs) that I was in a different situation. And one of the things that I champion about my sponsorship with Under Armour is that I made the phone call to a woman. And I think that that made the difference for me. And in fact... (laughs) It was such a difference that, number one, when I made the phone call, they were like, oh, congratulations. Wish you would have told us sooner. Also, totally get it because I hid mine, too. Not athletically, but (laughs) I didn't know what my boss was going to say either. And then a few weeks later, the New York Times articles came out talking about this thing. And then I got another phone call like, girl, so I knew you were stressed, but I didn't realize it was this bad. I get it. So that for me, it felt good. But I'm also aware that that wasn't everybody's story. That wasn't everybody's experience. But that is also one of the reasons why I say it is so important. And I say this when I talk to my girls through my foundation, any motivational speaking that I do. We need women (laughs) that are making the decisions for us. We need women that are telling our stories, you know. So I always say like, There's so many things that can be gained through sport. I want all of us to go out and do sport. Me coming back to do my graduate degree in counseling is because I know how hard it was for me to find a counselor that looked like me, that sports psychologist that I'm talking about, older white man. We need people in places that understand us to make those decisions for us. And so I say the journalists, the cameraman, (laughs) the coaches, the counselors, The administrators, we need more women in those roles so that when we do make those phone calls, the person on the other end gets it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, your story has been so impactful and I really appreciate you sharing that. I didn't know, again, I'm very much outside that world, so I didn't know that y'all were classified as independent contractors because there are, of course, all kinds of protections around growing your family and that kind of thing. But if you're an independent contractor, not so much, right? So I do think that that is really important for us to be able to pay attention to. So can you talk a little bit about like the postpartum? Can you talk a little bit about like how your mental health was and has been impacted, since having your son?
1: I would say I was still a crazy athlete <laughs> where, you know, everybody was like, okay, slow down. And I'm the one that's like looking at the calendar, like, look, my doctor said I can walk. She was like, you know, you've been training up to your childbirth. You've been an athlete your whole life. You look healthy. You can walk. At Six weeks, you can get back on the track. And they were all like, girl, no, slow down. (laughs) I remember my mom, I just wanted to go outside and get some fresh air. Again, West Indian, Black family, your bones are open, stay inside. Mind you, I had my baby August 6th. It was hot (laughs) in Texas. But anyway, (laughs) you know, it was all of those things that I was up against. Also, when my son was five months, I went through the breakup with my son's father. So there was already experiencing the baby blues, but then now becoming a single mom. That was a big thing for me that like, I'm a mother, but I'm still Natasha and I still have goals outside of being a mother. And I was still just as driven as before, but now obviously my responsibilities are a lot different. But also, I've got all these hormones going on inside of me. My body, I don't recognize. I'm going to practice and I'm peeing on myself again, something no one told me anything about. And so it was definitely an emotional roller coaster because here I am trying to go after yet another Olympic team, trying to be Natasha, but life is happening at the same time and I'm having to juggle all of those pieces.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I laugh because my Louisiana mother and like grandmothers and aunties had some of those same beliefs. Like I could not leave the house except for oh doctor's gosh, appointments. So ridiculous. <laughs> Love them dearly, but. Right. It's like, where do y'all get these stories from? All this stuff being open. <laughs> So, Natasha, something else that you have talked about that I would love for you to go back a little bit to was you talked about, like, the devastation of not making that Olympic team. And that's how you started working with the sports psychologist. What kinds of things can athletes start thinking about or, like, how do you deal with failure that feels so big, right? Like, when the Olympics only happen, like, what, every four years, right? Like, so you're spending all this time training for this, like, one thing, What does it look like to deal with failure?
1: You know, I feel like my friend, Emmanuel Acho, said this, where the failure isn't necessarily in the failure. The failure is in you actually not getting back up. So I think he said something like, you just fell, but you get back up and you try again. And I was like, man, like, that's really powerful. And I agree. And something in the sports world, and I think in life, you know, sometimes you got to have short-term memory. Now, I do believe that you have to process that failure. You have to process the emotions. And so kind of glossed over it, but I didn't make the team. To put it into perspective, I am a long sprinter. I run one lap around the track. I don't like mileage, (laughs) but I was so upset that I walked from the stadium back to the hotel. I went through the whole I don't wanna run anymore. I went through all of these emotions and I had to go through those emotions. and I think that that's something, especially as athletes that like good and bad because that's another thing that I can get into that we just kind of move on to the next. It's for you to process because your biggest lessons actually come from your failures, right? You very rarely hear people say like, man, I had this win' And yes, I learned so much, but actually the bigger lessons come from the failures. And in that failure, I've realized, girl, you need some help. <laughs> and girl, <laughs> it's okay to get that help. you know, Just because you need that help doesn't make you any weaker. And actually by getting this help, now look, you know, my whole career and even in my personal life, even though I went for sports psychology, I quickly realized those things that I was saying to myself on the track. Oh, I was saying that to myself in real life, too. And it was showing up in my relationships, friendships and all. And so it was a huge awakening for me. But yeah, your biggest lessons come from those failures and how you pick yourself up and move on, learn from it (laughs) and move on from that to be better. That's how you keep going.
0: More from my conversation with Natasha after the break. State Forum believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Forum is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a backseat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us. Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us, and let's take care of our hearts together. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve, and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API Scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. You may be aware that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Many people feel anxious when they think about finances. It can feel overwhelming, stressful, and even hopeless, especially when you're first starting out and don't know what to do. But when you have a solid financial plan in place, this anxiety turns into confidence. You can regain a sense of control over your life and improve your self-esteem. How do you build financial confidence? Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. you talked a little bit about boundaries already, and I'd love to hear more about like what kinds of boundaries or other things do you put in place to be able to operate under the kind of pressure that you have to as an elite athlete?
1: Understanding that it's a lifestyle and not everybody is going to understand that it's a lifestyle. And so I'm a firm believer If you don't necessarily have to have like minded people, but maybe people that have similar goals or that understand the goals that you're going after, you've got to be steadfast about what those boundaries are and what it is that you need, because also comparison, you can be in a setting with your training partners and teammates, and your teammate might be able to go out for that glass of wine before a competition, but you know that don't work for you. So you know what? Don't put yourself in that situation for it to be tempting for you to do something that doesn't work for you. But it's truly a lifestyle. I joke all the time. I mean, before I had a kid, (laughs) some days I would be in bed by 5 (laughs) p.m. And people are like, what? And I'm like, yeah, because my body is my vessel. And so I'd love to go have dinner with you. But I got this hard workout tomorrow. I had a hard one today. This is just what I have to do. And you have to be okay with that, you know, you make sacrifices early on to go after what it is that you're going after. You know, parenting. I talk to people all the time. Just just this weekend actually. A few friends were in town and they were like, Oh, we're going, blah, blah, blah. We're gonna hang out and do all of this. I laughed because I was like, Man, once upon a time I would actually have FOMO. But I was like, I got all of that stuff out. (laughs) You know, I have my son at 33. And so all the things that I've sacrificed before I can do now, which is, you know, have my child. And so I don't feel like I'm missing out on those things. But just keep in mind that it's just for a season. And once you do the things that you want to do, you can come back to those things. They'll still be there.
0: Tasha, have you noticed for yourself or for any of the athletes that you've worked with that social media adds an additional layer, <laughs> an additional layer of pressure or things that you have to keep boundaries around? Yeah.
1: Thanks for reminding me. Cause that is a big one <laughs> because I absolutely have a love hate relationship with social media. Social media can be an awesome tool if you use it correctly. And I think I'm in the generation that kind of grew up with social media. And so through that process, even social media had to learn how to police itself, right? So there are now things in place. Block is my best friend. It's funny because somehow I ended up on that list on my Instagram the other day. And I was like, oh man, there's a lot of people on this list. <laughs> but also the time frame that you're doing social media, right? If you know that that's going to affect your mindset, the day before going into competition, delete it off your, whatever you got to do so that you don't use it. But also in a sport like track and field that we don't get much coverage. I know that I've got to post that I'm at this track meet. I'm competing at this time and I'm this, so you got to know when and how it works for you, but also that boundary of like, okay, I did my post. I let my people know I met whatever sponsorship obligation now I got to turn it off to do my job. Absolutely, 100%. Love, hate social media completely.
0: (laughs) Like you mentioned, there are so few people who are operating in their professions in the ways that elite athletes are. And so it can be very noisy, I think, to kind of hear all this information and thoughts from other people.
1: Yeah, you hear it all the time. Like, I can't go to an accountant's job and tell them how they're doing their job, right? But You know, the Internet thugs get to tell you they can do their job better. Meanwhile, they never made the peewee squad. So (laughs) it's just you got to know how to turn the noise off. You do.
0: Yeah. So what suggestions would you give for younger athletes about like how they can prepare themselves for higher levels of athletic success?
1: Ooh, I think, you know, the foundation always starts very early on. I think, too, even at this level, I say you got to be having fun with it. So first and foremost, I hope that you're in a sport that you love and enjoy because who wants to get up and do something that they don't love and enjoy? And then I think (laughs) I'm getting ready to say, especially girls, but no, girls and boys, parents. I want us to be teaching our kids to find and use their voices and be their advocates be their own advocates. And I say that in the space of not only coach-athlete relationship, but yes, coach-athlete relationship, but also protecting our kids. It breaks my heart to hear some of the stories that we hear in regards to abuse, and that's on the high school and collegiate level. And it's really important to me that kids are allowed to have their voices to be able to advocate for themselves, come back to their parents, whoever it is that they need to go to report whatever it is that feels uncomfortable. Because All of those things to make for higher level competition as well.
0: So this may be a better question for your mom, but I'll see if you have some thoughts (laughs) here too, you know, because you hear so many like documentaries and stories of like the greats, right? And I always wonder, like as a parent, when you recognize like that your child has like, oh, they are really good at this. or maybe a coach tells them, like, how do you strike a balance maybe of allowing them to have fun at a sport, but also maybe pushing them in the way they would need to really be able to kind of master a sport. If you recognize those early signs.
1: Definitely better for my mom. And I probably need to talk to her about this too with my little one. I see little things where I'm like, Oh, you're, you're, you're kind of athletic. Okay. I'm ready to sign you up for basketball. He's, he's too, Natasha. Slow down. <laughs> <laughs> when I talk about how long I've been in my career I give a lot of that credit to my mom because it came a lot from my mom's own experience as an athlete. My mom ran track very early on too, probably even earlier than me, 7 or 8 years old. She made the 1984 Olympic team for Trinidad. She also ran for Great Britain before that, but my mom was always adamant that you're going to be a child first. She was always adamant that nobody's going to want it more than you, so Yeah, she would encourage me. And I remember there was even one time where I was like, oh, I don't think I want to run track anymore. I was about 12 or 13. She said, that's fine, but you're not going to come straight home from school. You're going to find something else to get involved in. I don't care if it's the glee club, debate team, you're going to be doing something. Now as an adult, I realize, oh, she was keeping me off the streets. She was keeping me busy. (laughs) You know, she never, I don't feel like she ever overstepped that boundary or even, you know, mentioning her past because also Natasha is my mother's middle name. So she named me after her and I've personally taken on this thing where I feel like I'm finishing what she didn't get to finish because she made the 84 team, didn't go, had me two years later. Opportunities in sports for women were a lot different then than now. But that's self-imposed, not her at all. I don't know how she did that. (laughs) But I also feel like whatever she did in allowing me to be a kid, finding that balance between support and encouragement, I think that's why 20 plus years later, I'm still in the sport where I can say I've had friends that I feel like were probably even more naturally raw, talented than me that were burned out far sooner than me. And I think a lot of it was, we do see a lot of overtraining culture, but also mental burnout. You know, if it's not fun, why are we going to go out here and do it? So yeah, I hope that did it justice.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was helpful to have all that. I didn't know all that history about your mom. So I think that that is really important.
1: I don't have a complaint about my mom <laughs> where, where this sports world is considered. She has been totally my advocate like I said, you're not going to talk crazy to her. That doesn't work for her. She's 13. She's 15. Yes, she's going to her prom, but she'll be a city champs tomorrow morning. She let me have all of that.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. So you've talked uh, several times today about like the importance of advocacy. What would you say about women athletes and how they can continue to advocate for themselves?
1: I think just that, but I think also educating ourselves on I can say in our sport in particular we have got to know the process and the rules I think a lot of times we kind of just jump on some bandwagons or jump on some causes and I'm like we've got to have some plans (laughs) but also understand the process that it takes to put those plans into action but I think also too you know we're competitors But in some instances, you know, and I see this happen a lot in track and field, particularly because we're an individual sport. Sometimes it's hard for us to be collective. And the power, a lot of times, most times, truly lies in the collectivism. And that's something I would like to see some more of going forward. As well as, you know, in track and field, I also feel like we lose a lot of our alumni. We've got to come back and pour into the sports. I know I don't want to coach. But I know that I want to coach the mindset of the next great in track and field. So that's how I'm going to pay it forward. There's there's so many different ways that we can be an advocate and pay it forward to the other athletes coming up behind us.
0: You know, you bring up a good point that I hadn't thought about in terms of like track and field typically being a solo sport. I'm wondering if there are unique mental health challenges or pieces that come with being in like a solo sport versus a team sport.
1: I don't know how unique it is, but I can say from experience that I've had several conversations with some of my peers and realized that there were a lot of times that we were going through some things that we thought it was just us. And it was like, but girl, if I would have just knocked on your door (laughs) and said, hey, girl, this is what I'm going through, we would have realized that it's the same thing. And so... A part of me doesn't believe that that's a unique thing. Cause I think as athletes, even in team sports, there's still that superwoman mentality, right? Or there's this idea that nobody's going to get it. I can speak from the track and field experience.
0: Got it. So what advice or tips do you have for athletes to take their mental health seriously?
1: All I can say is it's okay. <laughs> it's okay to say that I need help. And I think whether it's in school Whether it's your parents or your coaches or whoever you have to find to find those resources, because I think that can also be challenging too. Where do I even know where to go? You know, I wouldn't have known anything about a sports psychologist until I got to college and my coach Fry said, Hey, you want to talk to someone? And I was like, What do you mean? You know, but we're seeing it more and more now. So I think if you can recognize that, you know, hey, there is someone or something that I would like to talk about. I want to do that. And I think I would like to also emphasize even more that mental health is also health. It shows up physically in your body, whether you realize it or not. So mental health is your health.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you check in with yourself?
1: Girl, is this real? Or did mm-hmm. you make this up in your head? <laughs> that, <laughs> when I feel myself start reeling, That is literally the question that I ask myself. Is this a true anxiety? And if it is a true anxiety, what is the unknown that we're worried about? And why are we writing this story without even knowing what the ending could be? So I have to ask myself if I'm in reality or did I write this story in my head?
0: That's a good one. I like that. So are there any affirmations that you can offer to athletes struggling with their mental health?
1: Affirmations are actually my best friend. <laughs> and that's even when I didn't believe them. It's everything from I am a champion, I'm beautiful, I'm smart, I'm deserving, I'm worthy. Mm-hmm. It's how I start my day. <laughs> and I think, you know, it's unique to you, but those are some of the ones that are special to me and some of the ones that I practice. That's how I set the tone for my day and sometimes at night if I can't sleep, that's one of my little mantras that I repeat to myself over and over. I am whoever it is that I believe I am or who I want to be.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for spending some time today with us, Natasha. Please tell us where we can stay updated with your schedule and anything cool and exciting that you will have coming out soon.
1: Thank you. This was painless. I enjoyed this. (laughs) (laughs) I keep it real simple. I'm Natasha Hastings on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I also have a website, NatashaHastings.com. But I'm pretty active on Instagram, so you can find me there.
0: As long as y'all are not trolling. Because you will get blocked. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Natasha. I'm so glad Natasha was able to share her expertise with us today. To learn more about her, be sure to visit the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 256. And be sure to text two of your girls right now and tell them to check out the episode. If you're looking for a therapist in your area, be sure to check out our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com slash directory. And if you want to continue digging into this topic or just be in community with other sisters, come on over and join us in the sister circle. It's our cozy corner of the Internet designed just for black women. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. This episode was produced by Frida Lucas and Elise Ellis, and editing was done by Dennison Bradford. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. Hey, ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. with Conair Bomb available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and brown youth that to date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'm Katya Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table.
0: Hey, where are you? Coming!